is Page Avenue Crew Podcast. My name's Adam. It's just me again this week, or for now. The whole band's on the podcast. I'm going to be honest, but I'm not where the band is. We are not in our usual podcast recording space like we are every Monday night. I'm actually in Florida right now. I met up with my friend Ryan Key from Yellow Card, and tomorrow I'm meeting up with my friend Nick Ganbarian from Bayside, and we're going on a trip to the Star War. We're doing uh, we're doing the Disney Star Wars hotel experience, so we had to work some stuff out with the podcast. It worked out great, though, because the day that I left, the rest of the band hung out with our old friend John Oakes. You may know John Oakes from this podcast before. He was kind of our fifth band member in the early days. He came up with us when we got signed. He was our manager at one point. He was our tour manager. He was road crew. He was the whole thing. He put together this event, the St. Louis Music Meetup, hosted by John Oakes, with some artists from St. Louis, some rappers and producers and a promoter from the pageant, the big venue here in St. Louis. And it's pretty dope. He did sort of a history of story of the year, did some interviews. There's a Q&A. There's all this great stuff. So I kind of cut that together, a portion of it for this podcast. It'll be just the story of the year stuff, minus the Q&A, which you can probably get on Patreon. We'll see how that pans out. Anyway, it's a fun interview. I think you'll enjoy it. Here it is, the St. Louis Music Meetup, hosted by John Oakes, featuring story of the year. I've never done this before, what we're doing tonight. Um, So at the end of it, I'll tell you what we were going to (laughs) do. A handful of you in the audience I've met in the past. Most of you, I don't think, I maybe have shook a couple of your hands on the way in. And it just, it means the world to me that you took the time out of your night on a Monday night to come here and be with me, be with our panelists that are going to be up here tonight. The city of St. Louis means so much to me. I was born in Charleston, South Carolina, moved here when I was six years old, and grew up in St. Louis. And I started my career in the music industry when I was 12 years old, kid down the street, played guitar and sang in church bands. I went down and to the pawn shop and bought a drum kit so I could learn how to play the drums. And I don't know how to play the drums. <laughs> I still don't know how to play the drums. And by the end of the summer, the drum kit had moved and migrated from my garage to my friend's basement. And I said, you play the drums, I'll do the business of the band. And that hasn't changed. You know, that was 25 years ago. I'm not a musician. How many of you here play music, write music, produce music? Thank you. Every one of you. If it wasn't for you and everyone else that makes music, my life and my story and the things that I've been able to do would be a lot less interesting because I don't make music. I don't play music. I play the cell phone and the keyboard on my laptop. I'm a digital paper pusher. And so with that, music has really been the foundation, the core of my life. I started my career when I was in high school. I was booking bands and promoting shows and trading shows, and we would skip school and go to the music store, and I'd sell sponsorships, and to shows that I was promoting when I was a kid. And it's really the same thing that I do today, you know, 25 years ago. I'm 41 years old. When I was 14, 15, 16 years old, I just had this innate, like, entrepreneurial DNA in my body that made me bring people together through music. And, you know, guilty by association when your childhood best friend is a musician. That's just what we did with skateboard and go to shows and put together shows. Since then, I left St. Louis moved in May of 2002, so almost 20 years. I haven't lived here, but 
this community and the music scene has been so important to everything I've been fortunate to do, working with some of the biggest bands in the world, producing shows with 10, 20, 30,000 people all across the United States, all around the world, working with musicians at all levels um, and working with brands, some of the biggest, you know, Fortune 100 company brands, all the way down to small independent businesses to integrate their advertising and marketing needs into the event or the concert or the music festival or the car show or the motorcycle show, whatever the spectrum of events that I've been fortunate to be a part of. And man, COVID for my business fucking sucked. Everything was canceled in March of 2020. And how many of you played a whole lot of shows in 2020? No one. They were all, all around the world. And it really, I think part of the reason, a couple of people as you guys were coming in asked me, like, what, why are we doing this? What are we doing? You've, I saw you post something on Facebook or Instagram or somebody told me to come here. And really my purpose for bringing us together tonight is to motivate each other, to encourage each other, and to, to push ourselves. If you make music, if you write music, if you produce music, if you play on stage, if you're a guy like me that doesn't play an instrument, but you're interested in taking photos or shooting video, and, and you're passionate about music, if music moves you or you know brings you, when, when you go to a live show, it's for entertainment and escapism, for the most part. And for me, what I do backstage is a guy wearing a black t-shirt. I'm not normally on the stage. I'm the guy behind the curtain running around with the radio on, not talking into a microphone. Right. And when COVID came out in 2020, it just, it crushed everything that I was planning to do. Everything I had known, everything that I had loved was bringing people together through music and events. And that was canceled. And as I, you know, kind of, gone on through 2020 into 2021, I think I came a little bit more sentimental, right? I started to miss my family. I started to miss my friends. I started to miss my roots of, you know, being here in St. Louis with the foundation of my life and my career being here. And a little while ago, uh, a couple, you know, probably six, eight weeks ago, I went into the St. Louis music scene Facebook group and said, I think I might be doing something at the end of February. I don't know what date and where and what it's going to be. And it might be on a Monday or Tuesday. Most of you here probably read that Facebook post. So thank you uh, for hitting me up and, and, you know, following up. I didn't know what I was going to do. And then as I scratched my head and thought about it, I was like, at first, I was like, oh, we'll just go to a bar and a restaurant. And I'll stand on a soapbox in a box of bar and restaurant and tell stories about some of the fun, dumb shit that I've done throughout my career. And then as I scratched my head and thought, well, what can I do? really to bring value to the audience, to everybody that cares enough to listen to this guy that they don't know on Facebook to get together and come out. It's like, well, let's eat, let's drink. And let me bring a couple of people that I've worked with or know from the music scene in St. Louis together uh, to have a couple of conversations. Right. And, and, and that's what we're going to do tonight. So in, in a few minutes, we'll go through a quick 20 minute with four panelists, the story of the year guys, three of them count as one, <laughs> um, but we'll go through a quick, you know, kind of guided conversation with them. Um, really in my line of questioning or guiding the conversation is going to be, what can we do to help you and wish me luck and see, see how that conversation rolls. And then at the end of that, um, once we go through the, the 20 minute session with each uh, of the panelists, we will then all 
come back out, sit up here, and the beautiful Gigi with the can't miss her hair over here. We'll have a microphone, and we'll run a microphone out. And if you have a question, we want to spend as much time. The pageant is kicking us out at 10 o'clock, right? So we're going to talk up till 10 o'clock, and then we'll go out that same door we came in. Anybody that wants to keep the conversation rolling, we're going to go down to the pinup bowl. There's like a block or so down the road. Uh, if you go home, good night. If you go down there, we'll hang out. Um, Come up to me, ask me questions, introduce yourself. Uh, some of the guys have got to go home to their kids. Most of the guys are going to roll down there with me. Um, connect with us. And just because we're up here on this side of the stage, connect with each other, right? And, and whether it's working together, there, I think there's a lot of collaboration opportunity within this group of people that are here. And when, when I s kind of started this process to bring all of us together, I didn't know what we were going to do, and I still don't as I've got a microphone in my hand, right? I got a general idea, and there's a schedule back there that says I'm supposed to talk to four different groups of people for 20 minutes at a time. But at the end of the day, what I do know is the energy and some of the conversations that I had with a group of you as you were coming in, like, man, it just makes me feel good to connect with people and to talk and share and f find ways, you know, to, to help each other, to push each other, to motivate each other. And that's the goal of tonight. And... I know that there's a lot of people. How many, uh, everybody on the stage, um, do you play music or write music by yourself or are you part of a group or a band and there's a couple other people that help you make what's happened? And, and with that, we had to limit the amount of people that could come here. And I, I felt once, once the pageant stepped up and agreed to host us at this location, um, we couldn't welcome everybody, right? So no offense to your group members or band members or whoever you work with that isn't here tonight. Hopefully, as we do this again in the future, we'll have the opportunity to make it bigger. Um, but, you know, this is what we got, and I appreciate all you guys being here. So with that, I'll tell you guys a little bit more about me for a moment, right? I mentioned I grew up here in St. Louis, um, and when I was 21 years old, I moved to California to, quote-unquote, make it in the music industry. And that next year for no coincidence, you know, it was completely coincidence that the, the group that I was managing at that time um, got a record deal signed to Madonna's record label, a subsidiary of Warner Brothers Records. And the album came out and we sold, you know, a million something records around the world that year. And that was in 2002, three, four. And then I started to manage other bands and, and kind of progressed myself as an entrepreneur in the music industry that quit playing drums when I was 12 or 13 years old. Right. And so as, as that happened, I kind of came in at my age, came in right at the end of what I'll call like the CD era. Um, 2005 Napster and internet speeds came out. People stopped like just tanked, you know, the purchase of CDs and that for the first couple of years of my career, that was a very important piece to a revenue stream for musicians. So I came in right. I'm like, I was the young guy that came in right at the end of the old guy's era. Right. And with that, um, I, as an entrepreneur going like, well, how, how do I pivot? How do I adjust what we're doing and started a music festival? And I put together a title sponsorship deal with rockstar energy drink to be the title sponsor of a music festival that we were going to produce to go to 30 different cities around the United States dates across Canada and 20 or 30 different cities around the world. So our global music festival would do about 70 dates. And we did that mostly with kind of like an emo screamo genre of music, um, selling 
arenas, you know, eight to 15,000 people in most places that we would go across the United States and around the world. And then at that time, I was, I was juggling managing bands, producing festivals, and so much of what we were doing with producing the music festivals was the integration of sponsorship. I mentioned Rockstar, but we've worked with, with Microsoft and Ram Trucks and Lucas Oil and small independent businesses. Um, and, and in that integration, so much of what we do is, is marketing, right? I often say when, when we put together an event, whether it's a concert here at the pageant or wherever else you might play or perform your music, I jokingly say many times, like the number one competition we have is the couch and somebody's credit card, right? Like you need somebody to be willing to get off their couch and get out of their house to come to your show or your event. And then in addition to that, you have to be able to get them to be compelled enough to spend their hard-earned money and get off their couch and, or, or while they're on their couch, put their credit card into their phone or their computer to buy the ticket, right? Um, and come to the event. And, and, and with that, a big part of, of what we do is, you know, sell tickets to people, getting them off their couch, but you have to reach them through advertising and marketing, right? And, and I often say, as a musician or a songwriter, the greatest song that was ever written, we could all argue about it, right? Everybody's got their favorite. You like different genres of music. You got a favorite song, whatever that is. But the greatest song that was ever written is still in some guy's garage and nobody's ever heard it because it there was no advertising and marketing, right? The best musician in the world. It's not Jimi Hendrix. It's the guy that nobody's ever heard of, right? And, and so I think a big part of what we do in a live performance standpoint is getting people together, right? If we don't have advertising and marketing and obviously the music is the most important thing, but if that song is still in the garage, if you don't ship or deliver or release that music, nobody can listen to it. Nobody can get excited about it. And if you don't talk, especially in modern day today with Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, Spotify, the list of things that you can do to reach people whether it's handing them a flyer in front of a show or reaching out to them on one of the social media platforms, interacting with people and spreading your music, spreading the word, being passionate and having hard work. Like the things that I've done in my life and I've been a part of in my business isn't because I'm smart and it's not because I knew what the fuck I was doing. I had no clue what I was doing. And I think that's part of the motivation here today is Man, if, when I was a teenager or t in my early 20s, if somebody would have gave me a little bit of advice or guidance, um, man, I probably could have done a little bit more and a little bit better. And, and it comes back to what I think the goal is here. But when, when it comes to that advertising or marketing, like, you have to build a fan base that cares enough to get off their couch and come out of the house to put their credit card into the Internet and come to your show or if they're, you know, paying cash at the door. But, you know that advertising and marketing piece, I, I just, I believe it's true, truly important. And it's something no matter where you're at on the spectrum, if you're the melting piece, people's faces off with your guitar shredding licks, you know, if you're producing beats in the basement, if you don't push your music out, they're not going to come. And so finding ways, you know, to do that, it's, it's hard work, it's dedication, it's the grind, it's the hustle, whatever those words are that you want to use. And, you know, that's why everyone here can talk shit about a song you heard on the radio that that's fucking terrible and I don't like it and the production and the this and the that, but it's not in their basement. It's not in their garage, you know? So, um, 
earlier when I was introducing myself, I had mentioned my childhood friend that I played drums with, and then the drum kit ended up in his basement. That band was Story of the Year. Um, and I'm excited to welcome my friends Dan, Marsala, Ryan Phillips, and Josh Wills from Story of the Year to come join us on the stage. Come on out. I found a microphone. Hi, guys. You're comfortable with the We're microphone. We're back there in getting your drunk. <laughs> Where am I going? Right here? Take a seat. Yeah. I want to sit in the cool chair, man. I'll trade you, I'll trade you later. If, Where's Ryan? Don't Is talk Ryan to in Josh the bathroom? Wills. Yeah, he had to pee. He was going to take the mic with him. Sure did he, he take did. it? Ryan. I had to pee. Oh, I thought you were in there still. Hi, friends. <laughs> Hi, Joel and Steph. So, what you guys been doing out here? You know, talking about this and talking about that. Rock and roll? Yeah. Well, no, rock and roll. That's your department. Mostly rap. Yeah, we're the rock and roll. They're, they're all really good at, at uh, all kinds of awesome music. So, obviously, the history that we have together is, is something that I'm forever grateful for. And to have you guys here tonight to talk with everybody on stage, I think as a rock band from St. Louis... It'd be great to hear a little bit about your journey, and I'll say what we did together when when we were kids that ultimately led to signing your record deal. And and I think the question in that is, what do you think the key point of difference? Like, why did Story of the Year get signed? Why did we get signed? Because uh, of Ryan's sick riffs. Yeah. No, dude. Um, there's this quote that I recently read, and I was like, that's fucking Story of the Year. It goes like this. Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Like, that was fucking us, dude. We just cared more than everyone and worked fucking super, super hard. We weren't the best band. We weren't the best at anything, but we just we just worked super hard and we cared so much, you know? So I think, I don't know, that's like the, the, the bones of story. They are always, are like, the whole foundation was built on just that, you know? That is true. We were weird kids who loved music way too much. We were just talking about it back there because everybody, uh, 90% of the people in the dressing room that have been out here all went to the same high school, which is really weird. And there's some kind of magic in the water and uh, the Overland, Overland area yeah. that we all grew up in. But And I'll give, so Dan, Ryan, Josh, and myself all went to Rittner High School. Jason went to Rittner High School. Blue went to Rittner High School. Uh, Robert's the lone wolf that didn't go to the same you high school. You said wolf. Wolf. You guys heard our newest record, Wolves? Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, we were talking about it back there, and uh, it was totally different in 2002 or in the 90s even when we started uh, playing as Big Blue Monkey. That was our band name. But uh, it was a whole different music industry. We had to you know, physically burn CDs and hand them to people. We had to uh, you know, make a VHS tape and sell it at our shows because you didn't upload things onto YouTube in five seconds like you do now. Um, so we just had to work really hard, and it was like a totally different mindset than it is now, but, um, yeah, we just were willing to do whatever it took. And, uh, we were pretty good though. I think we're pretty good. I think you're pretty good. I think I'm pretty all right. And then when he grew up down the street from me, so, uh, he was just involved with our band the entire, yeah, through I, the entire I, process. I, I quit the band that we started together so I could do the business <laughs> of the band and yes. that never really stopped. Yep. Uh, we would not have done half the work without, having a good wingman to do all the business things that, that John Oaks always did for us as well. But yeah. And I think that's a, it's a great point. Obviously it's personal to the, to the four of us that are up here, but everyone here, I mean, if you, if you know your strengths, what you're good at, you don't have to be good at everything. You have to know where to delegate or who to put yourself in a situation with to help. Right. And I'm not saying that you don't need to 
work hard and try to improve on things that need to be done. If you're lazy, you're lazy. And like the, the, the reference that I gave earlier, you're going to stay that guy or gal in the garage that never gets out. But if you work hard and you find an opportunity, like it was, a, it was kind of a perfect match. I decided I wasn't going to be a musician that I was going to run the business of the band. I was passionate about music and these guys took care of the music part of it. And I took care of other bits and pieces to the puzzle and, and so we complemented each other very well. And I think that's something, again, to, to everyone in the audience, finding someone like me or someone like them to work with you isn't always going to work out the way our story played out. But whether it's finding someone that is a photographer to go take promo photos of your band, if it's finding someone that wants to be a videographer and convincing them for beans and rice to go make a music video for you uh, where you're not spending money, or you're spending the least amount of money possible to produce that content, you know, getting with someone uh, like Jason to produce or record your music. And, and so building that network uh, is important in finding people to complement what you're doing. That's true. That's true. It's just, it's just caring, you know, like we all cared. Even Josh needs to talk to you. There he is. Nah. Look at Josh Wills, ladies and gentlemen, the best drummer in the business. Yeah, we just cared. And it was like, you know, you cared as much about our band as we did about our own band, even though on the business side or the music side, we just loved what we were doing and uh, we knew we'd make it work somehow. And uh, if you try hard enough and just just love what you're doing, everything else is fucking nothing. Just have fun and make music. I don't even know if you guys are musicians or who I'm even talking to right here, but that's what we did. Right, Josh? Yeah, man. <laughs> Tell them how you feel. Yeah, you could probably just talk. I don't. You, they can hear you either way. So, with that, you know the the roller coaster the story of the year has been on from growing up in Overland, Missouri, moving to California, getting a record deal on a major label record. Um, I think it'd be great to hear a little bit about the the production and the recording process that you guys have gone through over the years. You've made so many records, recorded so much music. Um, the first time in whatever studio it was, like what what are some of the key things? Like if somebody was going to go make a song today and record, you know, what have you learned that might be able to help somebody? They would do it in their bedroom now, just as well as we did it at a big studio 20 years ago, which is what I was saying. It's totally different now than it was. But um, yeah, I don't know. Labels are totally different. Everything's totally different. We're learning how to be a band still in 2022 the same way we were in 2002. Yeah, I don't know. What do you do now? What do bands do now? Get a laptop and just care a lot and pour every bit of your heart and soul into it. And that's the beautiful thing. The, the industry has been democratized to the point where it's like the gatekeepers aren't record labels anymore and the gatekeepers aren't some big fat dude in an office somewhere, you know, like... Frankie Sharp. Frank, I was going to say Frankie Sharp. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I'm saying. If like, there's no excuses anymore. I mean, everything's... It's, it's right there. It's just a computer. You, you don't even have to pay for software anymore. There's You can just get free software. And yeah, so the, the barrier to entry is there's no barrier your to entry. effort. Your, your effort is the barrier to entry. It's yeah. not the technology. And that's Every beautiful because it's about the ideas and it's about the art. And it's open to anyone, anywhere, anytime that can afford a computer or borrow a computer or steal a computer or whatever. You know, like, I think that's fucking beautiful, man. You know? Like, remember you had to get a loan to get your first gateway computer. Dude, I had so a twenty-nine percent interest rate <laughs> on a gateway computer that had like six terab six megs probably. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 
Yeah, yeah. No, it, no, no, it definitely no. wasn't terabytes. Yeah, that yeah. wasn't even a word in 2002. No, yeah, it was $2,000, and I paid like $200 a month on it in the bill. Like, it never went down. And, uh, but he's we edited, actually still paying on it. Yeah, yeah. Right now. But we edited like our, you know, our uh, EPKs, like our videos and shit on it that wound up getting us a record deal. We did demos on it, we did everything on it. But, um, I don't know what that matters, but I, 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 that popped yeah, yeah. in my head. Sorry, you were saying something real important, and then I no, I, I was just I, saying, I think that. it's awesome that back in the day you had to like the route we took. It's like there were gatekeepers. You had to get it in this A and R guy's hand, and this radio programmer, and this and that. And now, you know, you can do it yourself in a bedroom, upload that shit, publish straight to the internet, and you know, like. I think that's super beautiful. I mean, it's a lot harder to stand out now, you know, but I don't know. I think this is like the most exciting time you could ever be an artist right now, you know, to yeah, me. Creativity and authenticity always wins no matter what level you're on. It doesn't matter. Just, uh, you know, just make cool shit. It's that easy. It really is very simple. Music, business, music, everything is just simple. It's just make shit that you love and people will love it. Don't make things that people, tr you think people will like. Do what you want. Do what you want. I think a, another topic of conversation to be great to talk about is touring. How many countries do you think you've been to with your band around the world? I know it's over 30, but... Yeah, I thought it was like a lot. I was yeah. like, probably most of them, right? And I was like, no, there's like 7 billion countries, and I didn't know that. <laughs> like 218. There's yeah. 218. We've probably been to 30-something of them, yeah, which thought, seems like a lot. We've been everywhere. But. I thought it was like in the hundreds, and then we added up one day, and I was like, oh, fuck. No, we I was like, to, man, we haven't even put a dent in the world. Yeah. We went to Places a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we've been to Japan like 14 times. We're still gonna let Josh just talk not into a microphone. This is I don't good. Need that mic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we've other than Africa, we've been to all the continents that you would go to. We've I mean, almost I, I didn't play Antarctica. Yeah, I, right. That you can go to Metallica played a song there, right? Wasn't that the thing? <laughs> Did they? Probably. Uh we have gotten offers in South Africa, and that was the only reason I was like, I wanna I wanna count that uh continent off the list. But but yeah, we've been done all of Asia, all of Australia, uh, you know, all through Europe, South America. Um, we've been a lot of places. It's crazy. So, Just from playing stupid music. So I think talk, talking about touring uh, for a moment, like coming from St. Louis and going to 30 whatever different countries around the world, um, what have you learned about music and different like how do people react to story of the year where they don't even speak the same language that you do you know like i guess you'd be really curious to hear some stories about what you've done on the road in the way that fans have interacted or reacted to your music when you're going to these countries for the first time you were there for a lot of the first times <laughs> true the true. first the first country we went to outside of united states was england right we did the uk the first time you were with us we shared a hotel room um, Josh almost got beat up by a bunch of 13 year olds in a McDonald's in Scotland. Remember in that? Scotland. Yeah. Yes. You guys ever seen that movie? Uh, what the fuck is it? Snatch. You know, snatch like the Pikers. We met like some teenage Pikes. I don't know. We met some 13 year old Pikes, and they like, it was fucking terrifying. I keep saying bad words. Sorry. It was, it Can was terrifying. <laughs> Shit. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, we, we were, yeah, we were at a McDonald's and we were just going there to eat. And this kid was looking at me. He just stared at me the whole time and then started talking to me. And I had no idea what he was saying because it was like super Scottish, like 
slang. Yeah, he was speaking English, but you couldn't understand that he couldn't was speaking English. Couldn't understand a fucking word. See, we thought that was weird. We were like, we're outside of America, but they're still speaking English. And we're like, later, that was different. But yeah, had no idea what he said. He was, getting, he was mad at me for whatever reason. And it was, it was sketch. I was like, I'm going to get beat up by a, a middle schooler. <laughs> <laughs> he <laughs> and was I 13 and he was tougher than all of us. Because I sure. guarantee he had a knife. He was in like a super rough part of Glasgow. I remember that walking yeah yeah but i don't think he came to our show so he was not a fan <laughs> i don't think so so our first experience was pretty easy because everybody spoke english other than that guy um but then we went to japan shortly after i think that was like the next big place we went and japan's in, in fucking insane um, that's the biggest culture shock i think and they love american music so that was just insane to us you know it's like they can understand English. They don't speak English very well, like, you know, outside of the major cities. But, uh, you know, they sing the lyrics to you. And we were like, this is insane. I can't talk to anybody, but they'll sing until the day I die as loud as humanly possible to us. And, you know, that was really mind blowing. And uh, when you realize that, you know, your band's doing that on the complete opposite side of the world, uh, that changes your perspective on a lot of things. And uh, it was crazy. I it think, was awesome. I think what I what I've found is going like to other countries and stuff is <clears throat> compared to like touring in the U S you know, U S cities get the U S bands like in like a kind of a constant rotation. But like when you go to like Japan or Australia or Europe or whatever, they're only getting those bands like once, twice, may maybe once every two years. And when those shows happen, there's, there's like a, a, a bigger intensity to it because like this is their, this could be their only time that they're ever going to see you because they've, they, you, they've liked your band for three, four years and this is the first time they've ever seen you and they don't know when you're going to come back. In the States, I think it becomes a little more like expected for like bands that are based in the U S to like just tour the U S all the time. And you're always going to see once a year, your favorite band's probably going to come through your city I'll go see Story of the Year next time they play a pageant. They do it every year. It's I'm not going. Annoying. Yeah, I'm not going. But why would I do that? Yeah. So it, go it, next time. It's just it, it's a it's there's a different energy when you, to me when you go over there because it's you get the culture shock, but like there's like another level of like I don't know if you want to call it like fandom or like excitement when they come to the shows. That's what I always noticed. You know, Josh. One thing I'll add to that, and and we shared this experience together, uh, touring across the United States. When you go to New York or L.A., people clap different. Like, yeah, they're literally not sure. as energetic yeah, because they're, they're, they're jaded. Yeah. It's quiet. They're chit-chatting. But when you come to St. Louis, Missouri, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Chicago, people clap more. Like, it's, uh, it's audibly, noticeably different on stage or side of stage from my perspective in, in those, yeah, particularly it, those it, two the, markets. Southern California is very, like, to me, like, they just impress me. Like, what are you going to do to impress me tonight? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a that weird... Was, that was one of our advantages from being from St. Louis was that, you know, we had... Like, we were a bigger fish in a smaller market here. Um, once, Especially once we started hitting at radio and stuff. It was like, wow, it's easy to be a big band in St. Louis. Not easy, but it's easier than if you're in L.A. and there's a thousand huge, awesome bands. Um, so we've had a lot of success with this building and this this town alone. Um, that we wouldn't have necessarily had if we were from a bigger city, you know, uh, though St. Louis is big enough, but you know, St. Louis gets skipped on a lot of tours. It's like do Chicago, they'll do Detroit, they'll hit 
wherever, but they'll just go right through St. Louis, you know? You might get a Lawrence, Kansas show because day off, whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, we were very lucky to be from a place where uh, it's not that normal to be in a rock band and do what we did. That helped us, I think. Um, remember we did the fir- the first tour we did with Goldfinger um, opening, and we played Tucson, Arizona the first night, and it was like one of the best shows ever. We were we were still called Big Blue Monkey at the time, um, and John Feldman had like taken us on tour. He wanted to sign us to uh, Maverick Records. He wanted he was doing an A and R thing anyway. He wanted to produce our record, so he took us on tour. We did Tucson, Arizona. We sold like twenty five hundred bucks in merch. First, first time night. ever in our career. We were like, holy shit, we're fucking rich. This is the best day of my life. The next night was Vegas. And Vegas bucks. was fucking complete opposite. <laughs> like everybody was like, fuck you. Your band fucking sucks. We sold a hundred dollars in merch. We went all out and got a fucking sweet ass we hotel room. We thought we were fucking, we were killing it. Like this is it. This is it. We're fucking huge. And, uh, we were humbled. The we were next very night. humbled the next day. Yeah. That's how everything is in, in the world of music. And yeah, don't assume anything. I was there. That was fun. I remember that. I remember paying for the hotel room. <laughs> yeah. you know, we're like, um, get us a hotel, man. We're going to be fucking rich. Like, all right. <laughs> you know, and that was when we were spending $4 each on the dollar menu at McDonald's yeah, every day and shit. Let's, let's, I want to talk about that. We didn't have any that. money is what I was saying. And, and I think this is something, again, to bring you know, a little bit of value to everybody in the audience is like when you, when you get that opportunity to go play out of town or play in a different city, it's – I think you learn a lot about who you are as a musician and you learn about the group of people that you're with. And, and I've, I've often said, you know, from the perspective that I've been in, you know, if, if you make music, you perform music with more than one other person, you know, you got to get along with those people. You have to enjoy their company or else somebody's going to quit. Somebody's not going to make it right. Somebody's going to break. Like there's going to be a breakup in the band. And sometimes that process is, is necessary, but you know, I would, enc- I guess I'm in- encouraging everyone to get out of St. Louis, right? Like even if you're going to go play in a shitty small club in Kansas city or Cleveland or since somewhere that you can drive to Nashville, wherever it is, get in a car, get in a van and go make it happen in a different city. Just go play one show somewhere else. And then, you know, let alone like the, the thousands of shows that Story of the Year has played around the world, you know, you, you you create a routine and a habit of how to work together, how to load in, how to be a little more professional, to be a little bit more organized. And, and you'll learn about each other. And sometimes it's going to be learning who not to be in the band with or the group with. Yeah, it's all about collaboration now, you know, like, which was the same thing we were doing in 98, 99. We would drive to Nashville and do a show with 12 volt negative earth, some random band that, you know, we just learned about not on the internet. I don't think, because I don't think we really had that. I was back an AOL then. chat room. Yeah. Maybe AOL chat, whatever that was. I didn't own a computer yet. So you guys might've did that, but, um, but it, but now that's like equivalent to just, uh, networking with people and collaborating and learning from other people, learning how they do things and, because everybody does shit different, you know, and we've just recently done that with our new record that we're making right now. We've done like songwriting stuff with new people outside of the band for the first time in our career. Um, so and tw- it's, 20 years later, you're doing yeah. something different yeah, for the first time. Yeah, still trying new shit and just like, okay, let's collaborate with new people and see outside perspectives and get new ideas. And I think that's what's really innovating, you know, the, the music world right now. And it's helping us tremendously. It's awesome. Dude, I think you said something important about like the people you work with and surround yourself with. Um, 
because especially in a band dynamic or any kind of collective of songwriters, any like you are, it's like the oldest cliche in what we do is that you're like married to four dudes, you know, um, that shit is real. So if there's anything I could like really add to this point, I was going to say you abuse me. <laughs> no, I mean like, dude, especially if you're like serious about, you know, about your art and your music and like, you know, you want to make it a quote unquote career or like, you know, your life's work. It is utterly important that you're with the right people because, um, it is a marriage and somebody doesn't want to work. Someone's just like a bad vibe or whatever. Fucking cut those people out of your life and run as fast as you can and find the right people. Cause that's everything. Cause at the end of the day, this shit's supposed to be fun. Like, we could all just go get jobs somewhere. I mean, like what we do is not work. We're not digging ditches. Like we're not like, you know what I'm saying? This is like, we put in a shit ton of hours, but it's play. It's fun. It's not work. So like, if this is going to be your career and what you want to do with your life, like make it fun. Like it's a lot easier to work your ass off if you're having fun and being with the right people is paramount, you know, especially in a creative, like you get a lot of egos and a lot of, uh, you know, personality types that clash and stuff like that. So make sure you're with the right people. I'm like the luckiest dude in the world. These dudes, we've been friends since we all went to the same high school together. This is my family up here, you know, and we just, we are very lucky in that regard, you know? So music's important, all that stuff, everything you're going to talk about tonight is super important, but if you're with the wrong people, none of it matters, you know? Awesome. Ryan, thank you for that. And I think that's a good capper. Yeah. And we're going to pause there for a moment. Um, we're going to bring out a couple more chairs, bring out the rest of the, the panelists, and we'll go through a Q&A. Um, I drank too many of these liquid death waters, so I'm going to run back to the restroom real quick while Gigi's bringing out chairs. And uh, <laughs> you guys stick around. We're going to bring a microphone out. So in just a minute, if you have questions, you raise your hand. We'll get you a microphone, ask your question. It could be for the group. It could be for- so there it is. Good times. Hope you enjoyed that. If you want to hear the rest, the Q&A and everything, we're probably going to put that on Patreon. We'll see patreon.com slash story of the years where you can go to check that out. That's also where you go to support story of the year period right now. You can, of course, listen to our music and stream it and everything. But if you want to support us directly, patreon.com slash story of the years where you do that. A bunch of different tiers that involve merch and access to all kinds of different exclusive stuff, including new studio content because we're in the studio right now making a new album. Patreon.com slash story of the year. I'm out of here. I'm going to do the Star Wars. So until next time, may the force be with you or suck one, whichever you prefer. I can't